0: Thank you so much for joining the Faith Chapel Podcast. Wherever you may be joining us from, we hope that you know that you are loved and that this message encourages you throughout your week. We start a new series today, and so I want you to follow along in the notes section in our app. But before we get started officially today, let me just say, normally I'm the good news inspirational guy, but today's a little different kind of a message. It's A message that causes me to just want to sit behind this table as though we're having a conversation with one another. And that we're just kind of having a dialogue one with another. Because I think it's important for us to, that every once in a while we just need to return back to just a good solid biblical understanding of what's happening in our world and and how it's affecting us. And before we begin today, I want to make this declaration that's found right out of Daniel's book, Daniel chapter 4. And verse 25, and I want all of you to say this with me. This is really the big idea. This is the big takeaway for me today and for all of us. So can we say this together? Are you ready? The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Can you say this again with me? The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. I mean, I want you to know that nothing in this past week has influenced my message. Like, I just want to remind you that God gave me this message a few months ago and said, preach this after the election Tuesday. So here we are. But I'm also mindful of all the many differences of those that follow this ministry and are watching today. Some are celebrating, some are distraught over the election. Some are simply glad that it's over. Anybody in that camp, like, finally, right? And then there's a myriad of beliefs and positions and emotions in between those positions. I'm also mindful of the many differences that make up our church and this ministry. We have different races, different social backgrounds, different levels of education, different political persuasions, different economic backgrounds. And if I could say it this way, this is why I love our church so much. Because we look like and act like the body of Christ where every member is vital and every member is important. So my goal here today is this, is just to provide some perspective. Whether you feel like you've won this past week or you lost, it's very simple. This truth is very simple for me to follow, and I hope that I bring it to all of us. That we are not citizens of this world, but we come from a different world. That first and foremost, we are Christians first. I thought we'd have a big amen there. I mean, it was cold and rainy in the first service and there wasn't very many, but it was louder than that. So come on out. we are Christians first. This is not our home, we are simply passing through. See, a blue wave won't save you, a red wave won't save you, only a crimson wave will save you. And that flows from Calvary's tree. And once you've been washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and your sins are forgiven, you become a part of the family of God, chosen by God, blessed by God with every spiritual blessing, predestined and adopted for the purposes of his will. And because of his blood, you are now able to experience the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. And we have received the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance, and seals the gospel of our salvation within our hearts and our lives for all who believe. And to that I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We see, some biblical perspective just might help us ease our anxious hearts or minds, or bring, hopefully, to all of us, a clear focus for all of us in this moment in which we live. So again, I go back to Daniel. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And with that, I want us to begin this message. So in order to understand that statement that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar, we need to go back and understand the context where it comes in Daniel. In Daniel chapter one, Babylon is attacked, or they attack rather Jerusalem, and you can read about it in Second Kings 24. And they destroy the entire temple, and they take out all the holy furnishings and take them back to Babylon. They don't just take the holy f- furnishings, they also take the best and the brightest minds that were in Jerusalem of that day, and it's called the Babylonian Exile. And they take those people as prisoners, and they take them back to Babylon, which includes Daniel, and three other names that you might be familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, of course. And what's interesting to note is this, is that this even ties into the Christmas story. Did you know without the Babylonian exile, there are no wise men that go see the baby Jesus? We'll get to that in December. But the prophet Jeremiah called Nebuchadnezzar God's servant. Jeremiah 27, verse 6. This is interesting to me because Nebuchadnezzar is an ungodly king. Nebuchadnezzar raised up many temples to false gods. Nebuchadnezzar was a man that was far away from God, just attacked God's people and took them into captivity, or took them prisoner, if you will. And yet Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 27, 6. He says, now I call you and all the countries into the hands of my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to go, What? I mean, I understand if he says my servant Paul or my servant Matthew or my servant John, but he's saying this about a pagan ungodly king. He said, here's my servant. It isn't the only time that we see an ungodly king called out in scripture as a servant or a shepherd for God's people. In fact, Cyrus the Great or Cyrus of Persia, Isaiah spoke of him and he says, he's the one who saved Cyrus. He is my shepherd and I will accomplish all that I please. And he will say to Jerusalem, let us rebuild in the temple and let the foundations be laid. And you might be going, what? How is this even possible? Well, it's possible because the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. And he places them to anyone that he wishes. And if you'll remember the Christmas story, wasn't it Caesar Augustus that issued a decree that everyone go back to their homeland so that they could all be counted? And that forced Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem where Jesus was born, thus fulfilling a 400-year-old prophecy given in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. How is this possible? Again, because the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth, and He gives them to anyone that He wishes. Now let's go back to Daniel and once in Babylon, here's what the exiles are required to do. They're required to be, go through a re-education program. They had to be dressed, redressed in the Babylonian way, eat the Babylonian food, learn the Babylonian history and culture. They wear jewelry, they have their ears pierced, they give up their Jewish identity. They were all given Babylonian names. And those that didn't follow the Babylonian diet, in other words, they maintained a strict Jewish diet according to the Torah. They went through an incredible danger and they remained faithful. And their faithfulness was rewarded because the king gave them advancements. Then we find ourselves in chapter two and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that no one can interpret except for, of course, Daniel. And Daniel comes in and he tells him that this large metal statue represents King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. And the rest of the statue from the head down represents all the other kingdoms that would follow. But also in this dream, there's this giant stone that comes out of heaven. And it literally obliterates the entire statue. And he says, this illustrates God's kingdom that's going to come. And humble all of the other kingdoms, bringing healing, justice, and peace through God's reign. Then we get to chapter 3, and you know the story of the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in there, and yet they don't come out not smelling of smoke, their clothes have not been singed at all with fire, and they come out of the fiery furnace, and then in chapter four, verse one, the king issues this decree, to all the nations and people of every language. Why can he say that? Because he is the king ruler over every nation and every language, and who live in all the earth. May you prosper greatly, It is to my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then he has a second dream. And of course, only Daniel can interpret this dream and the king says the only reason why you can interpret it nobody else can is because you have the spirit of the holy God on you and working through you. And in this dream, there's a tree that reaches to the heavens and its branches extend as far as the eye can see. And he begins, this, and Daniel begins to tell him that that all of the, and all the birds of the air make their nests in these branches. And it's so big that all the animals of the earth come and they position themselves under the leaves in the shade of this tree. And he says, you, You will be chopped down, for the tree is you, Nebuchadnezzar. Only the stump is to remain until you understand this truth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm like, I want to understand the truth. Right? Don't take this all away. This is too good. I'm running the entire world. I have everything that I ever want. Like, I'm in charge. So I think. What does he want him to understand? verse 17 that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and he gives them to whom anyone he wishes and then daniel tells him you're going to be driven from power because you haven't learned this and you're going to eat the grass like the oxen's of the field until you acknowledge verse 25 he says it again the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Now you would think that the king would learn this lesson, wouldn't you? You would think if somebody came to you and said, hey, everything that you have is going to be taken and even worse off, you're going to go to the pastures of the field and you're going to eat the grass that's on the field like an oxen. You would think, okay, what do I need to do and what do I need to learn, right? But how many of you know that we just don't do those things well? I mean, it's easy to look at Nebuchadnezzar and go, what an idiot. I mean, he made it as clear as possible. But how many you know we, we don't do it either in our lives, right? I mean, hit the pause button on the message. We're just not good at remembering what God said months ago, right? We're not good at remembering what he's told us. We don't capture it and carry it in our heart like we should, I mean, just for instance, there's things that God spoke to you about when you were in kids camp or when you were in youth camp. And he spoke to you directly and he said, this is what I want from your life. And you were like, okay. And you cherished that all until the next youth camp. Until God spoke to you again 12 months later and said, do you remember what I told you? And some of you as adults, God has spoken to you. And maybe during this time of confinement, you've been pressing in and you've been coming closer to the Lord. And because you've been coming closer to God, God has spoken to you. And as he spoke to you, you've said yes to God. And it was something that excited faith in the inside of your heart and inside of your being. And as it did, you were like, yes. And seven months later, coming out of confinement, and now you're constantly going, ah, I haven't been following that, praying that through, cherishing that like I should. So we can't get too upset at Nebuchadnezzar, pick on him too badly, because we're the exact same way. I mean, I've heard it said this, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. It's the same thing right now, right? And the reason why I set that up, because in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, it says 12 months later, here we go, just 12 months later, the king has already forgotten the edict. He's already forgotten that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And he sets them over, or he gives them to whoever he wishes. He's already forgotten it. What what is God trying to get him to understand? That your popularity, that your influence, that your power, that your mighty strength, and he was an incredible king. Alexander the Great came in later and tried to raise the city of Babylon to its heights like it was under Nebuchadnezzar, and even Alexander the Great couldn't get it back to that place. I mean, this is one of the greatest leaders that's ever served on the planet. And he was struggling with his identity And who gave him that power? Because he thought it was him. Look, let's read it. And as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. By the way, in Babylon, the walls around Babylon were so wide that four chariots could have a race around the top of those walls. Now, you know, that's thick walls. And as he's walking around the royal palace in Babylon, he said to himself, verse 30, listen to all the personal pronouns. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Well, you think awful lot of yourself now, don't you? Verse 31, and even the words were on his lips, even as the words were on his lips, the voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority is now gone. It's taken from you. Verse 32, and you will be driven away from your people and live like the wild animals. You will eat the grass of the ox. And seven times, meaning seven years, are going to pass by you until you acknowledge this. What's the one thing he was supposed to learn? By the way, what's the one thing that you're supposed to learn that God keeps having you come back to that you just haven't learned? What's the one lesson he's been trying to drive in? And you're like, I don't want, I don't like this chapter. Let me go on to the next one. God says, that's not how it works. You've got to learn this chapter before you go on to the next one. What's the one thing he's trying to get across? And he still didn't get it. He says, you're going to acknowledge this one way or another. I gave you the opportunity. You could have acknowledged it when you had everything. But now you've lost everything. And you're going to eat the grass of the fields like the oxen until you learn this. That the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on the earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. Now there's this word that pops out to me in this, that's the word sovereign. In your notes now, if you're following along, it means this, it's the all-encompassing rule over the entire universe. And the sovereignty of God, what it really says is this, is that because God is the creator of all things, he has the right as the creator to do with his creation whatever he wants. That doesn't mean you like it, it just means he has that right. He is the all-encompassing rule over all of his entire universe and his creation. And this message was for the king, and the king just didn't understand it. And what's incredibly important, this is, a, I believe, an incredibly important subject for you and I, because this marks what a true spiritual maturity looks like in a believer. See, true Christian maturity is marked by this simple belief. It's the, competent, or the confident expectation that God is in control. That no matter what my world looks like, no matter what's happening around me, I can rest in the fact that God ultimately is in control. I don't have to know all the reasons. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to have it all figured out. In fact, God doesn't owe me an answer to every one of my questions. I just have to settle into the fact that God ultimately is in control of all things. There is such a beauty in being able to trust in the sovereignty of God. R.C. Sproul said it this way, if there's one single molecule in the entire universe running around loosely, totally free from God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever, ever be fulfilled. So I want you to know this is an issue that I've put to rest many years ago in my faith and in my life. I think it had to be because I was maybe thrust into the ministry. And when you're in the ministry and you go to a hospital or you you look at a child that's born and just a few days later that child dies. And you look up to the heaven and say, what is going on? Why couldn't you spare this child? This child has done nothing to you. This child is pure. This child is innocent. Why would you not bring healing to this child? Or maybe it rears its ugly head when a a saint dies premature, seemingly prematurely. Maybe it's a family member that you loved and you knew was pure and holy and all of a sudden they died a tragic death. And you begin to asking yourself these same questions. I've walked out and I've been honest in past. I've walked out of many hospitals, gotten into my car and hit the steering wheel as hard as I could hit it, thinking Am I might have broken it and had not, not a way home but saying, God, what is going on? Why don't you just bring healing to this lady who lies there? All of her unsaved grandchildren her children, they would come to know you. If you just do a miracle, they're about to take her off the ventilator. God, show up right now. Do a miracle like in Lazarus's life. Only to walk away and not see that happen. But before I drive out of that parking lot, there's a faith that raises up inside of me. There's a calm and a peace that is there that says the Lord God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. God's sovereignty reigns. He doesn't always answer my questions. In fact, I've stood right here at this place for 32 years, 12 years as your pastor, here almost. And I've done many, many funerals where I have not understood the conditions of that person's passing. And I've even told the audience that was there, I don't always understand the why questions, but here's what I do know, that I can tell you after 32 years of ministry, God rarely answers the why questions. It comes down to trust and confidence. And I trust God. I trust God exclusively in my life. I trust God that God is ultimately in control, that He holds the universe in the span of His hand and just because I don't understand what's happening doesn't mean it's not being controlled or allowed by God himself. See, if I remind you this morning that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that right now, every single one of us on our absolute best day, those of you that have an IQ that's greater than many, anyone else in the room, maybe you're a genius sitting here and on your best day as a genius, can I remind you of this? That you only know in part. That's what Scripture says. I mean, we tend to look at that and say, you know, I'm, I have an IQ of 180. I'm not talking about myself now. Because mine's is much higher than that. But I, I'm just talking about... No, 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 it's much lower, but... But we tend, we tend to think we've arrived like King Nebuchadnezzar or like we've accomplished something or that we're smart enough or that we haven't understood. In fact, there's something on the inside of every one of us that want to know the why questions, isn't it? I mean, people ask that question over and over. Why did this happen? Why does that? In fact, if you're able to give them an answer, usually they're like, okay. But they just want an answer. And I think if you will, if you allow this important theological topic to be settled in your own faith, in your own heart, it will save you hours of grief and concern because the Lord God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. That God doesn't have to give you the answer to the why question, that you and I only know in part that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and he doesn't have to share the answer with you. You're part of his creation. And he can do with us however he wants to. Now, you may not like that. In fact, this is what has caused so many people to fall away from the faith. I know a lot of people that say, if this is how you treat your kids, then I don't want to be a part of this. If I'm your child and this is is how you treat us as your children, then I don't want to be a part of what's going on. I don't want to be a part of it. And I understand. And it all comes down to this simple, this simple theological truth, this sovereignty of God. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? I've settled it many years ago in my own heart. God, I don't understand, but I trust you. Amen. And let me just say this, that a lot of people, and I don't mean to be so deep this morning. I told you it's gonna be a little different. But there's a lot of people that even in the theological persuasions in the different camps are like, oh, the people that teach on the the sovereignty of God, they just use this as a, as they sweep it under the rug because they don't understand and they don't, it causes them to have spiritual apathy and it causes them to not seek after the deep truths of God. And I have found that not to be true in my life at all. In fact, it's caused me to step back and to see the goodness of God and say, God, even when I don't deserve it, you have been faithful. Faithful. The God that sometimes it takes years for me to see what you have done. That because my eyes are filled with the flesh and humanity, and my eyes are usually narrow and focused on what's happening in my realm, I have no idea what you're doing for people that are all around me. See, the reason why I believe, I've come to believe, that the reason why I had a disease that only seven people on the earth had. And I believe that God healed me not because I deserved to be healed or not because, not because I prayed for or had more faith. It was because my uncle needed to come to Christ. He was a doctor and he understood my condition more than anyone else. But I didn't realize that until years later. I don't know what God is always doing in my life. But I've come to the place where I know that the Most High is Sovereign over the kingdoms of this earth. As it relates to the elections, and it relates to people governing us, and he gives them to who anyone that he wishes. Now, you may not like that, but again, I'm a Christian first. God is sovereign in your notes. Let me just give you these quick things and allow you to get out of here, but I want you to just real, recognize a few things. This is not a comprehensive list, but God is sovereign over creation. The earth is Lord's and everything in it and all who dwell there within and all who live in it. That's us. He is sovereign over all of his creation. You are part of the plan of God. And God chose the exact time and place for you to live. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Because of your will we were created. We exist and are created. Because of your will, we exist and are created. That's the sovereignty of God. Number two, God is sovereign over human life. He says, wealth and honor come from you. 1 Chronicles twenty nine twelve. For you are the ruler of all things. Everybody say all. all. You're the ruler of all things. And in your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Second Chronicles 25, 8. Even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemies. Why? Because God has the power to help or to overthrow. Do I understand that? And I don't understand why God gives help to some and he overthrows others. I don't understand. But again, just for me, settling this in my own life, it causes me to sit back and go, God, all the times that I see that you've helped me, I did not deserve that. And I stand in awe of your sovereignty, of your perfection, and of your grace. Because without your grace and mercy, I didn't deserve those things. It's only because of the hand of God who graciously gives all things to me that I can sit here and say thank you, that I've been a recipient time and time and time and time again of your goodness. See, it's not me sweeping it under the rug. It's me looking back and saying, wow, God has been such a blessing in my life. And brought so much goodness into my life. How could I not sit back and say, Thank you, Lord? Acts 17, one of my favorite passages. Verse 24 The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live by temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. By the way, God doesn't need you. I told you it wouldn't be an inspirational message. I told you. I don't know what you came expecting. And the reason why I stop here and just pause a minute because there is actual there's an actual teaching around that, that God needed you and that God was lonely so God created man and so that he could walk with him and that he could have fellowship because God wanted fellowship because he is a being that needs fellowship, that needs intimacy. Can I tell you that that is absolutely and unequivocally wrong, that God doesn't need anyone or anything otherwise he wouldn't be God. Because God is perfect and he is a self-sustaining being. He does not need you or me. So again, the sovereignty of God causes me to step back and go, God, if you used me at all to accomplish anything while I've been here on the earth, thank you for including me in your great plan. Thanks for being a part of my life. Thanks for allowing me to part of your goodness and your grace. Thank you, oh God. Verse 26, for one man, he made all the nations that should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their land. What does this mean? I've said it this way. He chose the exact time and the exact place for you to live. So before the foundations of the world, the Bible says God knew you. He'd already created you, I believe, your spirit. He was just waiting for you to take flesh in this world. He knew you and he called you by name. And he waited for thousands of years for the absolute best day on the calendar, June 19th. 1965. That wasn't a joke, that's just a statement of fact. I don't know what's left. In case you don't know, that's my birthday. Just write that down, make sure it comes around once a year. Yeah, so, but he said on that day, he said, Brian, I've been waiting for thousands of years. Now's your moment. Now's your time. I've created things for you to do, good things for you to do before the world even was formed, good things for you to do in advance. I have a purpose and I have a plan for you in everything that you're going to do. If you'll live your life according to me, if you'll surrender your life to me, if you'll allow me to direct your life, you'll see things that you could never have seen in any other way. He said, just trust me, put yourself in my care. The sovereignty of God, the exact appointed time for me to live. And he's also involved, number three, in the minutest details of my life and of your life. The physician Luke said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? <laughs> not anymore, or not in California. No, wait a <laughs> Yet not one of them is forgotten. Not one of them is forgotten by God. Another verse in Matthew says they don't fall to the earth, that he's not mindful of that. Can I tell you that every smallest thing that happens in life, God already knows. He knows the end from the beginning. That's why I trust him. He is, not only does he know it, part of his title is the beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega. The first and the last. He's already in the future. He doesn't have to move to get there. Are you with me? It's the sovereignty of God. He said, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He spent like, 30 seconds counting mine this morning and moved on to the next guy. In fact, the number gets lower every day. I'm a little concerned about that. He said, but don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Number four, the suffering of the saints. Philippians, Paul writing to the Philippian church, he said, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, what's it been granted? What's been granted to us? Yeah, God, what are you gonna give us? but you can also suffer for him. This is Paul, who knows what it's like to be shipwrecked, to be stoned and left for dead, to be naked, to be hungry, to be in prison. But he had grown spiritually in his life and instead of fighting those things he says, you know what, I have learned that to rejoice in the fact that I get to share in the fellowship of his suffering. That's maturity. See, I don't know what tomorrow holds, and I don't know what the years to come hold, and I don't know what's going to happen. And, and I think anybody who tries to tell you is probably just doing their best to make it up because they know we want answers. But the best answer I can give you is this, that the Lord God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth, and he gives them to whoever he wishes, and that God is going to cause us, to walk if we choose to, walk in his presence and his power, and that his seed will never be begging for bread, that it'll never leave us nor forsake us, that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will never fear evil because we know that God is with us, that we don't have to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself, but every single day we'll have the daily bread of God waiting for us to feed us, to nourish us, to give us substance, because God said, I will be with you always. What happened in Daniel's day, the then and the now? What happened? Those that were faithful, that stayed true to the things of God, what happened? God was faithful to them. And he provided miracles for them. They didn't have to worry that they were taken away from their houses in the middle of the night. They didn't have to worry. Because God was still with them. Even though they questioned God. God said, if you're faithful, I'll be with you. I'll do the miracles through you. I'll make sure you have everything that you'll need. I don't want to suffer any more than you do. But if it happens, we should welcome it because we welcome it as suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that we can handle it if God says you can. I know that's not an amen part. I know it. But maybe that's what the world needs. Maybe that's what America needs. Because every time a country goes through persecution, the church grows. And God, if that's what you want to do in our church, if that's what you want to do in this pastor's life, then so be it. I trust you, you're sovereign over the kingdoms of this earth and you give them to whoever you wish. And just like Job, whether you slay me or not, I will praise you. I will praise you. Because the simple truth is this, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, you're still God on the throne and you are supreme and you're sovereign. Number five, he is sovereign over, the, over world history. A middle school teacher stood up one time and he wrote the word history on the chalkboard and, and he said, you know what history is? And I'm thinking, no, but that's why we're in the class, right? And he said, it's his story. And he challenged us as junior hires. He said, you have a part to play in his story and you can go find it if you want to. I wasn't a Christian at the time or going to church, but that stayed with me that, that this was history. This was his story that he was playing out. He was sovereign over his own story, and he allows me to be a part of it. And I just think that is the most incredible thing. And Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart's like a channel of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns that channel of water wherever he wants it to go. For the kingdom, Psalm 22, 28, the kingdom is the Lord's, meaning this entire kingdom, all the earth, and he rules over the nations. Through these men, why? The kingdom of God is sovereign. He gives them to whoever he wishes. And last, it's the electing of his people. Ephesians 1, 11, in him you were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works everything out in the conformity of his purpose, of his will. Can I just say it this was quickly, because I know people are concerned. What, is it the will of God that this happened? It may not be the will of God that everything happens. I can say that with great confidence. Let me explain it to you this way. Is it the will of God that babies get aborted every day? Is it the will of God for homicide to happen, for people to take lives of others? It's not the will of God, but does it happen every day? It happens every day. You know what scripture teaches? Understand, this is part of the sovereignty of God. You know what scripture teaches about those things? That the purposes of God, this is what scripture promises, that the purposes of God are always being made complete, not necessarily the will of God. Let me bring it home a little bit closer. Do you always accomplish the will of God every single day for your life? You don't, you know why I know, because you'd be perfect. And there's nobody perfect but Jesus. And that's why we need Him. So the will of God isn't always being fulfilled, but the purposes of God, Scripture teaches, are always being fulfilled. See, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we We don't need to wrestle with those things so much, I think, in our minds and our spirits, but really come to the simple truth that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whoever he wishes. So as I close, what, what do you want us to do with this pastor? What, what do we, where do we go with this teaching? Well, let me first start in Romans 13, two passages and we're done. Romans 13, one and two says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. Who established all the authorities? God did. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Can I just remind you of this, that the spirit of rebellion, the Bible says, is witchcraft. We don't want to be rebellious. We don't want to rebel against God That's a losing proposition. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I don't want to be in that position, do you? So then what do we do with this? What do we do with where we are? What do we do? Well, what what did Daniel do three, four times a day? What did those that were faithful in Daniel's day do? They pray. First Timothy chapter two, verses one and three. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And usually we start a prayer meeting with that verse and we go, yes, here we go. No matter how you wanna pray, let's pray and let's be in prayer right now. But that's not where the passage ends. He says, I want you to have all petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people, for kings and for those that are in authority, that we, You and I may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness for it, for this is good and it does what it pleases. God, how many want to please God? What do we do in this season that we're in? What do we do right now? What do we do? We pray. And we recognize that the Lord God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he places them with whoever he wishes. There's small group questions on the outline if you're following along and I, even if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to ask those questions of yourself before we leave. Or sometime this week when you have a chance to get away. But let me end with this. Somebody tried to explain this this way this week when they were talking about the sovereignty of God and trying to put it in proper balance. Because some people use the sovereignty of God as an excuse not to even be involved in missions around the world. They say, well, if God is sovereign, he knows who's going to come and he's pre-selected those people, then, then why would we ever go around the world and preach the gospel? That's taking it to an extreme because God uses you and I. We know what Jesus's last words were to the church, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? To make disciples. He uses us, that's part of his plan. But it's like he said, this author said, it's like a cruise ship, the most opulent, the most luxurious, the most incredible, the largest cruise ship that's ever been on the planet. And the only way to get on, you can't buy a ticket, but the only way to get on is to have a personal invitation from the captain. And because you're in personal relationship with the captain, he invites you, he says, we're about to set sail. Would you like to join us? And you go... Well, absolutely, where are you going? He said, well, here's the final destination. Somewhere down the road, we're going to end up here. There are many ports of call along the way but he said, this is where we're ultimately heading. And when he explained that place to you, you were like, wow, that is a place beyond anything my eyes have ever seen. That is a place beyond anything that my heart has ever imagined. That is a place beyond anything that my mind can conceive. Of course, I wanna go to that place. And what does it cost me to get on board? He says, no, your relationship with me, just join us. And you went, awesome and you packed your bags and you showed up on that day and you walked across the plank and you said, where's my room? And you made your way to your room and you unpacked, you know, this is gonna be a grand and glorious journey. Well, after several ports of call, you noticed that some people were getting off and they weren't getting back on. You noticed that some people chose not to go all the way that this trip seemed to be taking longer than it should. They stopped believing that there was a final destination, that that maybe the captain just got them on the ship to keep them there and to to control their lives. And, And because of that, they decided to exercise their free will and to break that relationship and get off at the next stop. But you stayed on all the way till the end. And when you did, you found out that it was well worth the journey. Can I tell you that's the way it is for us spiritually. I don't know what all the ports of call are along the way for you or for me. I bet the apostle Paul didn't know either. I bet those that were in their beds in Jerusalem that night that the attack came and dragged them out of their beds and took them to a foreign land, had no idea they were setting up prophecy for the Christmas story. All I know is this, is that God can be trusted and that he doesn't owe me anything. But because he knows me and because I want to know him and come into relationship with him, I choose to get on the ship and I'm gonna stay on it until the last port of call to where I have been faithful to the end. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into this place, which I've prepared for you. And I step into this place. that is far beyond description. It's too marvelous for words. It is beyond what my heart, mind could even conceive. It's called heaven. So what about you? Will you trust God, not just for your salvation, but for your life? Will you trust God that in the good times and the bad times, will you trust God that he is sovereign, that God is working all things together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose? Will you take God at his word and say, yes. That like Job, that even when I don't understand it, that you're working all things together for good. That even when things seem to be going against me, you're working all things together for the good. That God, I'm going to trust that you're sovereign over my life. You owe me nothing, but I want to be a part of your great master plan for life. If that's you this morning, and you're outside of God's grace, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. Friend, it's time for you to walk across that gangplank. It's time for you to get on the boat and say yes to Jesus. Is it gonna be easy? No, in fact, Jesus didn't promise it'd be easy. He told the disciples up front, so I'm telling you up front before I ask you to pray with me. He just told the disciples up front in his very first sermon. He called them all together, right? Got up on the Mount of Beatitudes, and he said, let me just tell you, it's gonna be really hard. Do you wanna keep doing this? And when it's really, really hard, I'm just going to ask you to pray for those that despitefully use you and say false things against you. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to raise up. I'm just going to ask you to trust me. Are you going to follow me even when it gets hard? If not, just get off now. And the disciples said, we'll follow you. And what happened? Almost all of them died a martyr's death, getting the gospel to you and me today, which we're indebted, Amen. I don't know what your tomorrow holds. I can't promise you that it'll be without pain. I can't promise you it will be glorious. What I can promise is you that God is in control because he holds the universe in the span of his hand. And the Lord God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whoever he wishes. And I wanna be a part of God's plan. So if you don't know Christ as your savior, if you bow your heads with me all over this building, you'll pray this simple prayer. This is a confession. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm asking you this to use this moment as how you call upon the Lord. Just say this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I make you my savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with us right here in this room or one of our venues or online, I want you to click the link that's there. I want you to go to one of the pastors that is in the venue. And maybe if you're here, you can come and let us know that you prayed that prayer. We would love to put something in your hand that will help you to begin to serve God today. Because today is a day of new beginnings. The old has passed away. The Bible says, behold, all things have become new. Amen, church? Can we just thank those that have making that, made that statement? Taking that step? Thanks again for joining us today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or any social media platform at faithchapelsd. See you real soon.